two, three, four. I'm drinking with the devil in no ghost town. We've been pounding shots since the sun went down. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Honey, won't you put on your Sunday dress? When you're drinking with the devil, well, you better look your best. Hey, hey. And I don't give a damn what the preacher man say. I'll be drinking with the devil on Devil in an empty saloon, raising our glasses to the harvest moon. Hey, 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 hey. Bringing moonshine whiskey from a broken cup. But don't need a watch to tell me my time is up. Hey, hey. And I don't give a damn what the preacher man say. I'll be drinking with the devil on Panless Parker, who's our guest today. Say hello, Panless. Howdy, folks. How you doing? He uh, will play a couple more songs later in the show. Um, so stick around. Yes. We have to tell people to do that because you know. Because otherwise they'll leave if we don't tell them. Well, just you're certainly up. not engaging enough. They'll get up and walk away. You're just <laughs> mad because I riffed you really good before we started recording. That's true, but it's not on air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lucky you. We'll make fun of you later. It's fine. We'll get back to it. All right. Um, there's really no news this week. I've got. No, no news, everybody. Yeah, shockingly, there's no announcement this week, so I think we can get right into the album for this week. Good. <laughs> wow, Steve, <laughs> could you bring any more energy to the podcast? He can, I am but he won't. Energy. Yeah, he won't. So, um, our album this week is brought to us by our guest. It's Car- the Carolina Chocolate Drops and their new album, Leaving Eden. Um, Introduced to us by Painless. So, did are you a longtime fan of this band? Um. Semi-short time fan. Okay. I'd say. Um, I don't remember exactly how I chanced upon them, but I'm very happy I did. I think somebody recommended them to me, probably. And um, you've listened to other records before this one? Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah, because this was a completely new experience for me. I mean, I've heard music like this before, but them specifically I hadn't heard before. We've done folk, but not folk 
yeah. legit Americana. For for all of you on the audio world, uh, he made his eyes really big when he said folk the second time, you know, to emphasize it. So necessary. You wonder why I like energy. Seriously. You, uh... But to be honest, this is not a pure folk album. There's a heavy dosage of blues throughout the whole piece. Well, one of the things that I like about this album, what I like about this band especially, um, the Carolina Chocolate Drops, um, what's interesting about them, they're doing, um, as, as their name may imply, they are from North Carolina. And what they're doing is trying to keep alive uh, the traditions of sort of old-time fiddle and folk music um, that were practiced in the Carolinas in the African-American communities. Um, all the members of the Blander band are black and they do a lot of music that we usually associate with um, white people in Appalachia um, old fiddle and banjo stuff that a lot of it especially banjo music actually came from African Americans who came over as slaves and brought the banjo and its ancestors with them and they're sort of doing a lot to keep the tradition alive both in terms of playing a lot of old stuff and also writing new things and incorporating new sounds and keeping it modern so making it a living tradition, writing new stuff in the mode of that kind of folk music, of North Carolina folk music, with fiddle and banjo and other traditional instruments, and making it modern. Is that, when you say white people in Appalachia, is that because they borrowed the music and then went to Appalachia thereafter? Or? It's, it's, a, it's a question of, well, uh, what, I'm, what I'm thinking about, like what a lot of people in folk circles talk about is old-time music. Mm. Um, which for the most part when people say that they mean Appalachian music from the areas of um, Virginia, North Carolina, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky um, that has a lot of roots in um, Anglo-Scots-Irish traditions that came over so fiddle tunes that came over from from England, Ireland, and Scotland and then sort of melded with other stuff and mutate a little bit. In fact, um, what was really interesting is that some British researchers of old traditional uh, English ballads recorded a lot of stuff in the late 18 and early 1900s in the Appalachians because some of their really early ballads were sort of preserved in a closer form to their original in these small, isolated mountain communities of, you know, what we would call hillbillies basically today. It's really fascinating considering we were having a discussion at some point recently mm. in the podcast about uh, how language gets preserved also in certain little pockets, like yeah. the, the old British, uh, the original British Cockney accent, as we think mm. of it, got preserved in certain little pockets of Virginia here and there. Mm. Uh, the island of Tangiers, for instance, there was a whole theory going about that that was actually the original provincial uh, British accent, but it and got preserved. And by we, meaning Steve talked about it, and me, we nodded. Me and Matt just well, we got yeah. into it when we were that. I do not remember the episode, <laughs> so you got me. Well, wow. Um, well, musically in the Appalachians, you get a lot of sort of Irish and English traditions that started melding. You starting hearing banjo music, and the banjo came from Africa with the slaves. Mm. Um, later on, you start hear some blues influences, and that was what got worked into bluegrass and country music in the '30s and '40s. Um, so, um, but what was interesting, and I learned this only recently, is for a lot of stuff, even as far north as New England, uh, the kind of music white people would listen to at dances, often there would be a black fiddler playing it. Right. And they would play certain music for white people at dances and certain music in their own communities. Interesting. Hmm. It's also important to note here that I don't think uh, uh, Carolina Chocolate Drops were staying entirely classic because they did incorporate certain modern elements in here. Uh, it was kind of sporadic, mm -hmm. but 
when you heard them, you heard them. You would, anyone some, would recognize their, a little yeah. R&B here and there. Some of their earlier albums were very much straight-up trad. They were, you know, just that kind of music with the instrumentation and, and just like the old fiddle tunes that, that they had learned from their, their mentors. Um, but the last two or three albums they did, they started intentionally doing that more, adding modern elements, adding modern instruments to just try to, you know, be like, well, we're not just recreating something from the past but we're we're building on this tradition we're making it a real thing because um you know all music should be like that no music should just be about curating and and putting music in a museum it should also be about creating new things within a genre within style about working within folk music or within jazz or blues or whatever you're doing and making new things making it you know because it never stood still back in the day folk music was always changing especially before recording when you all only had oral tradition every fiddler is going to play a tune differently every banjo player is going to play it differently of course so i think that, that's probably gonna be that, a, a you get that mutation discussion. and pollination of influences all the time it's a fascinating thing and you know some people who tend to be real purists about folk music kind of forget that right? yeah that's yeah. that's actually these guys have not yeah that's that's something i think that'll be the go. discussion as to how how well they're doing that as to how well i guess yeah, they're I bringing the old or introducing the new and that careful balance let's yeah. get right into the first track uh riro's riro riro's riro's actually because the way i said it in the <laughs> in the lyrics uh riro uh riro's riro's house there we go that took too long yeah, too long. way too long. Um, is the first track on the record uh, a nice kind of high energy intro? Tons of fill in the beginning. Yeah, it kind of pulls you right in. That's the first thing I heard, especially in the beat work, especially in the percussion work. It was something that instantly grabbed you, brought you to uh, a high energy level, a, a get up and dance kind of a level. It did a, I, my opinion, did a great job of actually showcasing the the strings, the what we were going to get to expect in the rest of the album the tempo we were going to get to expect the, the craftsmanship we were going to get I agree and, with you. and yeah. also chord wise I mean let's put it this way this is this is the pop music of the day which the day could be anywhere between like the late uh, 19th century to probably present because it survives in many places in pockets and it tends to stay within a form Sometimes it can be a kind of a rigid form, but that's exactly what John was saying. They tend to play around with texture a lot, mm -hmm. the instrumentation. But I would say that it's kind of an exploration as to what you can do with, say, one chord or two chords. Uh, or in the blues cases on this album, the blues style. It's, it's like an exploration as to how much you can actually do within that mm -hmm. small framework. And for that said, I mean, as an intro track, it works wonderfully because it's supposed to be high energy. Mm -hmm not really supposed to be getting into the deep stuff right away you know the chordal heavy pieces this is uh it's fun yeah. i agree that it really sets the tone for the rest of the album both in terms of it starts out you know you got your banjo and fiddle which are kind of the classic hallmarks of mm -hmm. um southern music of this kind of southern folk music where they're coming from and they they set it out with that as the bass but they also have this percussion going i think there's some bones in there there's definitely a, a snare drum doing a sort of a polyrhythm and, you know, as I was saying, these guys are, you know, showcasing an African-American tradition and polyrhythms are a very important thing that, you know, black slaves sort of introduced into Western music um, in, in many forms, both in blues and rock later on. But even here you get the sort of dun-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
Dun, yeah, and dun, then you got dun, this. Dun. You got the drum coming in, being like, "Okay, this is not your normal white people's fiddle music. This is going to be a little bit different, right? And some of it's going to be different, but still traditional. But you never realized it was traditional, and some of it's going to break out of that entirely." Yeah, and and it, it just it was a I think as far as intertracks go, really sets the tone, and it was short and sweet, but not too short. It, it, was, it, it stayed, a declaration of intent. Yeah, it definitely stayed as long for a two minute track. It was kind of right perfect for the beginning of the record it was a great way to start us off and of course this is also very characteristic of the genre a great use of double stops that yeah. fiddle style playing where you you know constantly hammering down on two or three strings at once and often at least that that tended to be the high point of the piece even though you know we don't think of the piece as being very uh, versatile within its small framework it does have those moments which are a little bit in, more interesting than, uh, than others for instance it's really just going back between those two chords like i said between c and g and then when it falls in that G, that's where the violin tends to get more interesting. That's where it tends to put in the double stops in more of a... It, it states it in a more intriguing manner. That that said to me that this wasn't going to be, I guess, your everyday folk album, if that makes any yeah. sense. No, it does. It definitely yeah. does. There was, there was hints, though you couldn't tell to what extent this early on, but there were definitely hints that this was going to definitely go somewhere besides your standard fiddle folk music. It was There's going to be more to it than that. Yeah, like um, it had dimensions even from the very beginning. An, an example, for instance, is like the, the chieftains. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I know the chieftains yeah, quite well. I mean, in more of an Irish sense. Yeah. They, they, I would actually say that they tend to stay more in a, a bit of a standard. Like, there's, there's no, there's very little variation in genre for most of their work. Whereas here, there's a little bit of waning. Place yeah. To place. No, yeah, I hear that. Uh, moving on to track two, which was, uh, I thought it was an odd choice to kind of have this short little. It, almost an interlude track, but this was uh, Kerr's ne Negro Jig, and it was just... It had... It did have a jig as element, as it gets. Yeah. but mm -hmm. I think that the, the, the really nice touch on this track was the wildlife in the background mm -hmm. really brought home the purity of the jig. I felt I, like I something they played in the barn. for instance. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, so it's, it could easily be cheesy, but it wasn't. It wasn't it was cheesy. It really gave you that. that it, it gave you a framework. Good. It yeah. gave you. It gave an honesty to it, even though it is throwing on crickets, wildlife type of a feel onto a track, because. Uh, but it, but it did the opposite. It actually, it made it more earnest. I think it had to do with the rustic feel of the instrument itself. It's very. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's not crisp in a sense, you know that we know when we're listening to very mm -hmm. carefully produced studio work. This is one microphone, basic, simple microphone, nothing expensive here. There was there was some care put toward not making sure there was too much care put on this album, or at least in the recording work itself. Sort of a sonic sprezzatura, if you will. Uh, I don't you know You might need to explain means. that. Yeah. Uh, sprezzatura is an Italian term that is most often used in fashion circles, and it's been actually rather abused in fashion circles, but it's sort of the idea of doing things um, without too much care, making everything sort of nonchalant. So putting great care into appearing effortless. Um, right. So often in fashion means doing something just a little bit wrong in terms of like style faux pas, just to like not have everything perfect and matchy-matchy. It was something that, that came out of the Renaissance and was out of a sort of an idea of like how to be the perfect courtier in court. And they'd actually um, intentionally um, threw off Bon Mots with um, slightly misquoted quotes so as to seem like you look up a quote the night before to like 
spat it off in court, but you misquoted on purpose, so that right. seems like you're you have misremembering this it. But it's not worth remembering. But I'm not actually. I just kind of remembered it. Oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I just threw these clothes and on. The implementation and like, yeah, of the this particular case. Match, but. It was mostly because it was out of tune, like very blatantly out of tune. I don't have perfect pitch by any means, but I, I, I just a sense that it was out of tune, and then I double checked it, and it clearly was like right there in between two notes. So yeah. just that in itself, you know. What's, what's nice about it was also like it was sort of a more the sound of the banjo was very, um, very, very kind of like harkened back to some very early banjo playing and like the history of the instrument. Mm -hmm kind of piratey almost in a way yeah yeah and, no this um, take you back through the centuries. you could hear some like like there was some percussive elements that sound like like foot shuffling which is something that you know goes right back to slavery yeah you know the shuffle absolutely. dance and using shuffle percussion and both in the name of the tune that's a jig and in the sort of the minor kind of dorian thing it had going mm -hmm. on it showcased very strongly the irish roots that this kind of music has yeah, and you know you can even hear it in the melody, especially the whole pirate thing. Yeah, I mean, that's what you, I mean. You could hear that. Uh, it, it was what do you do with a drunken sailor? Kind of melody. Yeah, There's a lot of similar phrases there. It was definitely a melody that probably originated somewhere in Ireland and, and mutated a little bit, but not that much that it sounded purely southern. Yeah, you could, yeah. You could sort of you could trace it back. You could smell that little bit of the the Irish peat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I all things together, considering got, the, the crickets. Smell the clover. I got drunken sailor stuck in my head now. There you go. Uh, moving on to track three. This was the first time we're we're really getting a more modern take on on folk. This was first time we were really getting some some stand stand up vocal work too. Uh, Rudy, are you mad at your man? The female lead vocalist is. It's it's not appropriate to compare it to Janis Joplin, but it's 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 the you closest that there were I can get. You thought there were style similarities. I mean, she definitely had a very powerful voice and was very. It was that frog in the throat element that but Janis very, always had that that really shone through here. But it was very engaging from the beginning. It, the The song had a great backbeat and the vocals were really good. It was another high energy song that kind of really got you going. This See, was a level a level of uh, a level a level of vocal skill that you didn't quite get in Ryro's house. I mean. That's something that almost anybody could kind of, I guess, belt out if you just have a couple of days of vocal lessons. This is completely different. This is this shows years of, of spending time on your art, honing there, your there, voice. There's yeah. there's there's a very important mathematical equation that that sort of happens in the song. And that is that beatbox plus banjo equals awesome. <laughs> yeah. There is beatboxing in this song. I think we really need this to is, talk it about isn't, it. Okay. There is a dude. We're getting to that. We had to get to that. The beatboxing was, uh, I haven't heard anything as good since Surge, number one. Yeah. Number well, two, it is very subtle, where it actually does sound like almost a drum at times. It, it's a very subtle beatbox that until you hear that sharp intake breath, you don't realize it's actually someone doing that with their voice. I loved it. I thought it was excellent. I mean, in the in the beginning, it it sounds almost completely drum like when you yes. have that sort of heartbeat and you know, bump, 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 and then it starts getting gradually more complex. You hear different pitches within that drum, and it it almost it starts getting so high pitched that it it starts to feel as if it's a uh, tablas, you know, that Indian uh, drum. It starts to sound a little bit like that until it goes right into the full blown chorus. Then there's there's a human element there. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's 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 impressive that it works. 
because it's the yeah. kind of thing that could easily fall on its face and they actually make it work really nicely it works with the banjo they got a mandolin coming in and doing some little melody it did an excellent work with that top. playful mandolin it, it was, was it was yeah. the the fun back and forth that was and with, yeah, this is and, comping and, at its best and and the mandolin like the the kind of melody lines that the mandolin was doing was actually referencing them also slightly anachronistically for very early folk music it was kind of referencing bluegrass which is very much a 1940s phenomenon um, bluegrass was something that happened in the 40s and the 50s right around the time rock and roll was coming together it's not like there's a difference between bluegrass and like old time folk they are not the same thing yeah and yeah. what the mandolin was doing was much more like something you'd hear Bill Monroe playing and it just it, I like personally I really like when very genre specific seeming bands Mm -hmm. break outside those walls and the fact that they yeah. worked a beatbox so well into this otherwise mm -hmm. very folky bluegrassy kind of sound mm -hmm. was, was really great well, it was great about all these things that they came together and the, like the use of dynamics and the variance of dynamic the way things went from like that was sort of slow and menacing and quiet into like building up to like crescendos and diminuendos going on oh, in the song specifically it beautifully really good, done specifically really good uh, toward builds. the end you pull yeah. you pull the beatbox completely out mm -hmm. and yeah. it was that slow it's burn very soft for a while. we always talk about the slow burn kind of a build it yeah. did a, uh, a hell of a job bringing all the elements together and that's just the thing that's something you could not get on a on a tailor made uh properly quote unquote properly produced album you wouldn't get those dynamics because there's actually you know the riff standard actually does not allow for that i mean it may still very well be compressed but you can hear past it you can hear that the raw the raw recording of this was teeming with peaks yeah. and valleys i mean even even just like you know the difference between just you know if you're playing a drum say just hitting the bass note as opposed to doing a full fill yeah and you hear that in the beatbox and you hear that in the banjo playing you hear that in the vocals, the way she'll she'll go from, you know, so like sticking to the verse to like doing longer legato notes that sort of float over everything while the while the rhythmic elements are still driving and she's doing these sort of long phrases. Yeah, and it was interesting that even even the banjo itself still still had that dynamic, considering that the banjo was mostly just a, it was it served the purpose of a rhythm guitarist. I mean basic uh, ubiquitous throughout the track in, except for dynamics. Same exact riff. But dynamics did alter, and when you hear your your rhythm section, you know, grow in volume, I think mm -hmm. that's almost what's a little bit unexpected uh, for this genre. And it's just nice to, s as much as I like a finely produced track, the fact that there were imperfections in there and that cliche, you know, imperfections build character. It really did give the song a kind of character that you wouldn't have gotten. It was this mm -hmm. fine, polished product, you know. I think a lot of it, what it is, is that like production can sometimes be used to make up for like mediocre things, and you need yeah. less production when the band you're recording is super tight. Yeah. And like mm -hmm. I've seen I've seen footage online, I've seen videos of these guys when they're playing. They are incredibly good musicians. Yeah. They know their stuff inside and out. Um they they, they can be as loose as they want, they can be as tight as they want. And also and, their and style allows them to be a little looser. Yeah, and, and they, they have and they, that like, room and to do yeah, that. When, when a band is really good and has been playing long enough with each other they can do a certain kind of interplay where they slow down a bit or speed up, and you can, yeah. you, they, you know, you almost develop a sort of telepathy. Yeah, where you, where you kind of, of follow anticipate what everybody's going to do, and the, you know. Yeah, we we actually talked about that sort of uh, connection when we were doing Chick Corea with jazz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it yeah. was. It's once you know each other, you know each other. It's you know mm -hmm. what fingers are going to happen at that's, what times. So that's interesting. You bring that up, considering that that was a fairly new band that was created. Him and the Vigil, at least. Yeah. Uh, but yet, Chicory himself. Well, kind he's of, scary good. It's intuitive. It's yeah. intuition at that point. Yeah. yeah. But it. So sometimes all you need is one really good ringleader. Yeah. Exactly. Who will make it happen? 
Well, it's like, these, I mean... These guys, I mean, they, they ring of, of having years with each other. Spend yeah. time. This actually, well, again, this is... Um, I believe for this album, they actually had a new member. One of their one of their original members had left, and they the guy who does the beatboxing was new on this album. Oh, but I'm pretty sure they, they workshopped it a whole lot before they got there. Yeah, and you can tell. You know, and this, this is a band that they, they tour, they play. This is what yeah. they do. Do you know if there's any multi-instrumentalists here? Or is everyone yeah. basically to their own form? No, no. They're all multi-instrumentalists. Um, the, uh, let's see. The only one I remember... The name of is Rhiannon Giddens, who's the vocalist, okay. uh, the female singer. Um, she plays banjo, she plays fiddle. Um, I think the guy they, who just joined them plays guitar and beatboxing and banjo. Um, they all do a bunch of stuff. Well, and that adds they to are all multi-instrumentalists, so it's... And that adds to yeah. the flexibility of the band, and that's very apparent, you know, too. Um, moving on to... Boodle D bum bum. Um, Boodle bum bum. Boodle bum bum. Don't be afraid. <laughs> this this track is clearly, and I mean, uh, um, Painless pretty much said it while we were listening to it. It's it's a very jug band rock song. You know, it's just kind of a fun rock folky jug band song. I mean, not, no, not rock. Rock is the yeah. wrong word. Blues is a more appropriate word. Is it more bluesy? Well, I mean, yeah, jug 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 music had connections with the blues are very okay. close all right it was sort of its own thing tend to get on the radio a bit more right um, um a lot of a lot of jug band music was sort of about finding new sounds so like the idea of like the jug and the washtub bass it's not that these guys are too poor to afford instruments it's just right. that they were looking for different kinds of sounds yeah kind of like and robert johnson the whole bottle the guitar and whatnot <laughs> Well, I mean, that, that, that was something that came that. From, from Hawaii, actually. It was a craze for Hawaiian music. Was it really? The yeah. Mm-hmm. The first guys to start playing slide guitar, and I think they actually did it with, with like, a knife or something, um, were uh, Hawaiians. And there was a craze for that stuff in the 20s, and that filtered into the Delta Blues in Mississippi. Huh. I had always heard that uh, Robert Johnson was the progenitor of that. No. Misinformation? He was one, one, one of the best uh, practitioners but are. he ne- he neither introduced slide to the blues or was the first slide blues player. Gotcha. Um, this track. Speaking, anyway, speaking yeah. of this, back to jug yeah. band music. So th- so this track was definitely more on the. Sim- it, it, I mean, it felt simple, but there were still complexities within it. It was very classic in both the style it was portrayed in and mm. it's in its progression. Yeah, it's th- this one was like straight up traditional. Yeah, yeah. this yeah. was not trying to do anything new. This was very much just being like this is. This is where we're coming from. This is our history and our heritage, and you know we're not, we're not messing with it too much. I mean, my overall only real complaint with the track was that it felt like it went on a little too long. It could have had one less verse colors and probably would have wrapped up just nicely. Yeah, yeah well, there, that, there what they like, wanted they wanted to give room for the solos, but the problem and there was is a that story too. There, there's there's some fun in uh, like banjo mandolin interplay on this one, but there was really no dynamic range. It all kind of sat yeah. in the same way and plod like sort of shuffled along at the same kind of like shuffling jug band pace. And I think that's why the solos don't really hit you the same way because when there's no dynamic range yeah. the solos just sort of are casually introduced. You barely even notice that the verse, verse, verse has been pulled out. Yeah. So. I mean, but I mean all in all it was an okay track. Just, yeah, I think if they had cut like a 30 seconds yeah, to a minute out. It's a little out, too uniform to, to be that long. Especially yeah. considering following up uh, Rudy, which was nothing uniform at all. You know, it, it was yeah. very original this I mean but maybe they were trying to bring you down a bit especially was, considering track 5 what that's going to be when we get to it and what's weird is track 5 Country Girl and Ruby was very similar in styles or at least in elements and it, it was kind of weird to have this jug band pigeonholed between them because Country Girl once again introducing the beatbox 
uh, even better this time around. I mean, more rock even to some extent. R and B. Rock, rock is, is an incorrect Mo- word for anywhere on this album, in my opinion. Modern pop definitely yeah, leaning towards yeah, the R and B hip hop yeah, spectrum. Rock is a gleam in the eyes of these. Yeah. So, so, oh, so we're on to well, country, honestly, though, so we're on to country girl, and here we're really having a break from tradition. Yeah. And but I think that's because why... up, up until now we've had subtle changes. Like I'm gonna go so far as even to say that the beatboxing that we get in Ruby Are You Mad at Your Man is is subtle. Yeah, it's, it's playing around with a drum rhythm that it's, would still it's be adding present. a modern element to something that yeah. is still within the framework of a traditional that's song. This more is about no aesthetic longer, than anything. This whole thing, everything is built around a modern framework of a modern yeah. pop song. It, yeah. It's the style of her singing. Yeah. It's just, it's it. it rings like any uh, R&B. And, and, and what I love about this track also is called Country Girl, but it's anything but country, the song. Maybe what she's describing, but as far as the style... Lyrically, you know, lyrically, it was almost trope-filled. Yeah, yeah. It was very cliche, singing about the it country was, life. And that, that was one. That was probably the only detractor in this song for me, that it yeah. was such well, a trope-heavy lyric style, but her vocals were even better. They're getting better, which is great. I, I yeah. kind of felt like... I don't know. The the phrasing was a little forced in this one. It's trying to fit too much in. I didn't like this track, to be honest. I felt mm. like it was too much of a departure. Like the the elements didn't quite meld. It was sort of like trying to like trying to say something, but not really as artfully as it could. It just like for me, something about it didn't gel. Like it kind of missed its mark. That's fair. I'm gonna go and disagree though, only because I feel like the subtleties so far have almost been pointless. It's not that I didn't enjoy a track like Ruby, You Met at Your Man, but it's like that subtle variation of an existing song. It doesn't, it doesn't add too much to me from what I could get from existing recordings, you know, of the era. This, to me, I couldn't find elsewhere, and I did enjoy that. So whether you think it gelled, I, I, I guess I, a matter I, of I feel like it's like, I mean, I can see your point about Ruby, but I feel like this goes a little too far in the other direction. It's like too disjointed. <laughs> At this point, it's like basically playing. They're they're using their instruments to play a pop song. Uh, that and may have to do with track placement more than anything. The fact that we had maybe. that, you know, uh, the boodle bum bum in the middle there, it's like ah, I just think it's a weak song. Yeah, I think uh, with this it's, song, it's a context question to I, me. I think I think with this song, it comes down to more personal taste than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think for the reason that you feel it doesn't gel is just the reasons why I do like it. The fact that it's a little off and the fact that it's got that very strong hip hop song style but but i can definitely see where you're coming from especially as far as based on their other music on the rest of the record this is definitely sticks out like a sore thumb compared to anything else we come across for the rest of the record chord wise it's a little bit more interesting to me i mean we had a discussion of the whole three was enjoyable breakdowns it was a little more divergent you know, well, one of those breakdowns is the cello itself. Yes. yes. That's new. That's new for the record. This yeah, is why this, this seemed, is the first time it seemed it jump outish. So I could see it being sudden in in terms of a uh, of an out, of a track placement question, but it doesn't stop my enjoyment of this. If anything, right. it, it needed a more gradual build to it, but I'm not I'm not displeased that it occurred. Um, moving to uh, to run so run mountain, which is the track that follows country girl. This was, I mean. It kind of went more back to a more traditional sound right after mm-hmm. Country Girl. Yeah, this like, one, this one, I, uh, there was I one element that I did enjoy, and that was the uh, five. Wood, the five, the woodwind. Yeah. Uh, I like that infused in it, but it felt almost to the extent of she'll be coming around the mountain like that overplayed of a song. It, it really the five. I mean, comes in later in the album too, and I think it was better better used here. This was so. It was a jaunty track, but it was kind of just. 
it was, was tired. Yeah, it wasn't very um, it, the Fife adds original. more a more earthy texture, but that's not like we've been lacking that anywhere in yeah, this album I, so I far. I like the Fife on this. Right? I think it's so, something that, that was, you don't like. Back in its day, like Fife and drum bands were were very prevalent in the South and very much part of the music. And you don't hear you hear a lot more about fiddles and banjos and occasionally mandolins than you do the fife and drum stuff. And it's kind of nice to have it's a little bit exotic, but still very much part of that tradition. And um, something that was very much a part of African-American music-making tradition, which is something that's important to this band. Well, see, aesthetically, I agree, it's even exotic for this record. But mm. the, the, the form of the song didn't really go enough places for it to really stand out as me. It's, 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 it's yeah. not a super standout track, because, again, they're, they're doing something that is straight-up traditional within yeah. the old-fashioned Appalachian mode. Yeah. Um, I, I like a lot of the old traditional stuff anyway, so, so for me personally, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Because they, they, they do good renditions, and like, I like the. I don't remember which one of them sings on this track. It's one of the guys, but I like it's. It's sort of a slightly rougher voice. Yeah. And you know, it, it's it's a bit more country. It's a bit more rural. Yeah. I can never pronounce that word properly. <laughs> rural. <laughs> just two R's, just like they mess with me, man. Yeah. But I, I I like I like that kind of bit of a roughness in the vocal. No, it, it seems that, that over the course of these tracks, there's going to be a lot of question between whether you prefer. Uh, the subtle shift, or prefer yeah. the the hardcore transition, you know, really smacking well, you well, in the face with originality. Because the next one we're coming up on, um, oh, Leaving Eden, yeah. So this Leaving is, Eden, which is also much more of a modern track in its way, and this is uh, and the title like, track of the record. But this one is much stronger, I feel, than Country Girl was. Oh, I will agree. I would, I would I'll say agree with that. The cello's kicking butt left. Yeah, right. the cello was beautiful, and it was engrossing from minute from second one of this song. You're pulled right in with her what, singing. What was beautiful was the way the cello complemented her vocals, and I think mm-hmm. this might be the best vocals on the album. For sure, it's up there. Yeah, straight up. Was I mistaken, Just, or was there an upright bass in here as well? Possibly. It could be. I don't. There's remember. a lot of complexity in this song. There's a, there's a lot of times on this album when you think you hear a bass and they're actually on a jug. Yeah, that yeah. happens. I don't remember if it was on this one, but um, and this is this is the first time I really found myself engaged with not just the vocals but also the lyrics. I especially like it the first time she goes into the chorus, and the mockingbird can sing like the crying of a dove. When when that line strikes it goes from this sweet slow melody to to something a lot more energized uh quite a bit more upbeat but still have that same sort of sorrow to it i love i love the way she uses her voice this one definitely does have that kind of more modern pop feel also not not even necessarily modern pop feel but go ahead well i mean as far as um maybe pop's wrong word as far as form yeah it has a modern form that seems like more accessible to the average listener someone who may not be looking for this kind of a, a you know style but it, it will engage just about anyone who hears it i think those reasons are all cordial i mean yeah it's absolutely it's, this is mm. easily the most complex track in the album and it is incidentally my favorite it it tends to go through a lot more more of the motions than any other track here uh most like i said in the very beginning are just exploring those you know one chord here, another chord there, doing your typical blues progression. This this mm-hmm. was always moving. Yeah. It really didn't stop to ponder in any sense. This, this was sort of like this song was very much about the song, about this the like the uh, lyrics happening, and, yeah. and the music all around it and supporting it. 
like a lot of the other stuff we're hearing, a lot of these old traditional tunes, they were dance tunes, so they yeah. didn't have to be complex. They didn't have to have a lot of chords. But at the same time, this yeah, is no less beat. this is no yeah. less a dance tune to me because it is a waltz after all, mm. and I do see move, movement to this track just Definitely. because it's complex. I mean, doesn't negate it being a dance tune. But, it's but, not, but it, is, yeah. it's a lot more than that. Yeah, yes, stands yes, on its, it, it's like a lot, a lot of if dance anything this is the romantic like, dance tune <laughs> yeah this, this is your slow dance yeah. and, it's and, pushing, and it's a gorgeous one it it's really like, is what, and what I was actually going to say about modern it's like what I feel it's it's doing is it's in a modern folk yeah. form this reminds me of a Gillian Wells song or other people who are doing sort of more contemporary singer yeah. songwriter folk it's sort of in that mode still very much in sort of like a tradition that came out of bluegrass and you know what people nowadays talk about is roots or americana yeah mm -hmm. so it's, it's very much sort of that that modern roots kind of thing and and just like and it's a beautiful example of that right and also it's this is like the craftsmanship musical craftsmanship at its finest it's the layering in particular for me that really makes it um just the tasteful introduction with each and every instrument it's that whether it was a jug or an upright bass you know it's neither here nor there but and it, it joins in with that tremolo, which actually is a running theme with this album. So it doesn't separate this track entirely for me, the uh, the fast mandolin tremolo. Mm -hmm. um, and then the cello enters after that. And the, the harmonies between when, when both the female and male singer join in together, which doesn't often happen on this album, at least not stated in such a profound manner. At the not height not of the, in the way the that feels it. like a duet. Exactly. Yeah. And the harmonies there were glorious and, and for also with me this track also is the first time you really get a sense of emotion in the album i mean there are pockets here but you don't really they don't really take you through a, a, a huge amount of emotion through the whole album depending on what you're looking for but here the beauty here is so outwardly stated and the lyrics and the singing is pushed so far to the forefront and the music is clearly just yeah. supporting it like you said that you can't help but feel something it's There's just it, it'll well up in you. It's the emotional there's, climax of the album. Yeah, there's yeah, also... Absolutely. The other songs have been more about adrenaline energy or the removing of that of the adrenaline. dance behind it, yeah. This one really is more trying more to good. make you feel instead of just do. Yeah, there's definitely more layers to this track, and it shows. Again, it depends on where you're putting your emphasis with this, because I can't go far go, go so far as to say that tracks like Boodily Bum Bum or Run Mountain are, are filler tracks because they're not. No, they're they're almost the focus but we're not, but we're not right, right, right. That. But it, it's true that this is the climax in a sense. It seems like you're almost bypassing them to get here. But well, I'm just not, I'm not just so proposing. I think there are tracks on this album that are more like interludes. Yeah. Well, I say which which have their value. Yeah, they have their value, but it's that's what the only thing I'm. They're not I guess like I'm, the, the big set pieces. I, a lot per, of, I purpose I personally do feel they're interludes, but I'm just proposing an alternate view because. On one hand, this album is all about that in many ways. It's Breathing. all about the, well, it's all about the fun. It's all about the dance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like there's a there's a sad focus on this album, which would almost make leaving Eden seem out of place, despite that it is the climax. It just it depends on where you see the focus. There is some more downer style coming up. Yeah, and there I mean is. like it's not the it's not such an oddball out. There is some yeah, more. No, melancholy coming up later on in the album. The and track. speaking of the filler tracks, <laughs> this track could uh, arguably be considered one. So okay. track eight is called Read'em John. It's an all acapella track. There's a good part. All right, well, we'll get to that. But So this is an all acapella track. My, my overall thoughts on it was fun, but it kind of lacked that extra something. Like even tracks like Boodle Dee Bum Bum 
had even even though it was simpler it still had something mm-hmm. like that little bit of extra whereas this kind of just felt kind of empty it felt sort of like the song that never ends it just, at it, some point but then they did introduce something which I really we've talked about this way back on other albums but there was clapping and that rhythmic clapping actually did something mm-hmm. for me I don't know if it was like clapping like clap clap they were, they were no, doing was, polyrhythms with them yeah, yeah. It they, was they might have they might have even been ham boning. It was. Might it have was been. I'm not sure. It was some good work, but it took half the song to get to it. And it's just I don't feel yeah, it, was but it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. It was a very I, short I think Painless yeah. kind of had it when he called it a sea shanty. It's basically what yeah. I what I feel throughout this. It has to do with the acapella style, um, the um, fact that yeah. we do have many 18th century uh, vibes going into other points of this album. It seemed to be. Uh, accentuated here and it did aside a, from the soul aspect yeah. it, it did actually keep almost a, a round style beat going throughout it it this was could have very, very easily been around yeah, very much a metronome in its, in its beat yeah. I, I, will, I will say it's not the strongest thing on the album I liked it yeah I like the vocal I like how the, the sort of the lead male vocal on this was a bit shouty a little bit ragged yeah no, there, I there's did a certain that. amount of like rah, emotion to it like yeah. a, bit of, a bit of rowdiness it made it raw yeah that I, that I liked and, and it didn't overstay its welcome no yeah I didn't hate the track it's just the chorus to me just kind of rubbed me a little wrong but it's for the same reasons that kind of rubbed me wrong is why you like it it had that kind of harsher rougher sound yeah. it's just because that it's, I just it's, didn't it's, love. it's a simple question of a simple well I, I basically have better taste in music than you is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody here has better taste in music than him. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Pacific Rim. Or Boobus Stink Albums, dude. I, yeah, I own them. I haven't listened to them in ages, but yes, there I There you go. <laughs> um, anyway. And now to our palate cleanser. And I want to say this was a... Mahala was a great palate cleanser. This was something that I think really helped divide the, the, the beginning and the end of the album very well. To, to, to sort of reboot it for me. This was a more... A couple people said, I don't remember who, said a Polynesian-style beat. It felt Caribbean. It felt... That was I. East, East Indies, West Indies. It felt tropical in its style. Mm-hmm. It was, wasn't. It really wasn't. The it was, beat was it the was well described. Part. You could have replaced every instrument here with a ukulele and you wouldn't have skipped a beat. Yeah, and it, it was, was great like, for that. Except then you would have a bunch of goddamn ukuleles. Yeah, there's <laughs> well. that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, I mean, Panlis had said while we were listening to it off air, you know, it was the summer jam of the 1930s. You know, it, it kind yeah. of had that kind of summery feel, but it was definitely a 1930s it, kind it, of sound. Yes, people went to the beach then, too. Sure, beaches existed. It reminded me of some stuff that Mike Seeger did. He did this album of. Um, it was also. It was called. Uh, I think it was called Fresh Old Time Sounds. And the idea was to take some old time music, and keep it a living tradition. Do something different. And he played with a lot of people who were part of the scene in right. uh, Ithaca, New York, in the seventies when when the album was done. And they did a version of Cotton Eye Joe, which was sort of al- almost Aloha Oi. And so it was like, <laughs> Where did you come from? Where did you go? It was almost like kind of like duopy slash Hawaiian thing. So this kind of thing is not not unprecedented. Um, well, honestly, I found it pretty boring. I yeah, was there wasn't it. much yeah. to this track. I mean, I don't really have much other to say than, than not a lot of meat on the bones. Well, no. some, summer jams really aren't meant to be impressive I mean, necessarily. Yeah, meant you to even fit com- a mood. You even compared it to. The, the way it kind of flowed to uh, Sugar Ray's song every morning and yeah. every morning is a lot of things but substance it's not it's <laughs> it's it's a pop track that was supposed to kind of get you grooving in the summer it was very vapid very you know it's back and forth the and, 20s and 30s 
American music in the 20s and 30s tended to borrow a lot from almost everywhere. Latin rhythms, African rhythms, Asian rhythms. They borrowed everything, and then they would put it into this box, which was the 20s and 30s standards of the time. And he would feed it through that. They've done amazing things by utilizing the music of the world, and they've also done so many not amazing things, and I think this is on the lower half of that spectrum. But that's mm, yeah. why I'm going to say it's a great palate cleanser, because it was, in some ways, mindless. It, it was it was enough to 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 take stuff like it gave you a break. Re- I it guess gave, it it took the emotions of leaving Eden and the randomness of Redem John, and made me forget about them. Made me pass them through because we go into West End blues, and this was. I couldn't see West End blues following Redem John. No, it wouldn't. That would have been an odd follow up track, I think, to Redem John because this is once again. Great levels with the vocals, this time coupled with the banjo. The way it was coupled in mm-hmm. Eden with the, the cello, this was, once again, they know how to work with their voice. Mm-hmm. Great job doing that. Now, this was a lot of banjo-fiddle interplay going mm-hmm. on right here, which I think was some of the best on the album, yeah. uh, just to show their comping skills and whatnot. If you could call them comping skills, because yeah. in many cases that's all they do. But it's, it's impressive. It's, it's a feat. There's, the, one of the cool things about this track is that you had two fiddles going at the same time it wasn't just one fiddle doing double stops but you yep. could actually hear was the fiddles were doubling up and they give you a, a very nice kind of funky and dirty sound very you know very, very much like a, a classic old-timey feeling which which i love i love that kind of fiddling and it just had and, a great yeah. layering and the, the banjo is actually a bit unusual a lot of the banjo playing on like the banjo on ruby is very much your traditional southern claw hammer style banjo the kind yeah. of thing that was prevalent in the south prior to bluegrass which used a whole different kind of banjo playing um this is not quite straight out claw hammer it's still got the rhythmic stuff going on but the syncopation is a little different mm-hmm. um and the whole thing just has a bit more of a, a syncopated kind of jazzy beat to it which is nice yeah it, it and, was really kind of a, and and it's a good vocal showcases yeah well. the strong vocals that, that yeah. kind that kind of really also drew you in um, right, kind of like not specifically blues, but bluesy. Yeah, it was it had blues esque kind of sound, yeah. but still, still very much in the vein of the singing you come kind kind of expect this point at the record. You know, uh-huh. the vocalists have kind of at this point proven themselves as far as what they're capable of, and this uh-huh. is just kind of more of the same. The only thing is, like, I can't that. call it a weighted track necessarily. I still feel like this, uh, in, in terms of tone, you could almost bypass it. Uh, as, as far as a crucial point in the record necessarily it's just another showcase of it, of, of their skill yeah but like, also on a record like this you're not really that's the point I was trying to make yeah. before though which is why uh, Leaving Eden is so spectacular in its own right yeah. West End Blues did have if I'm not mistaken theme work of uh, it was a little bit of a darker a little bit of a downer I mean, but it I was wasn't an uplifting song like pretty much everything no, else no no I'm not in an uplifting song that's what I was saying not in a statement of 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 meaning, perhaps I didn't feel I didn't feel the oomph factor that well, makes any. But what I'm but what I'm trying to say is I think this this album's arc is in the fact that there really isn't an arc, and that's that it's that's kinda, what I was saying before. Yeah, yeah. It's, exactly. It's, I'm it's kind any, of agreeing is that that yeah. it's 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 lack of arc is what kind of pulls it together right. actually. That's why I just can't I can't you know draw this magnet to this track in the same way. That's right, the right. thing I'm saying. Well, speaking of no arc, Paul <laughs> <laughs> Black Sheep. All so right. this is. One word really describes this for me. Yeah. Furious. This has some really heavy, quick fingers playing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 amazingly fast this at is... times, and this is really uh, some probably and, some and, of my yeah. best fiddle work from the best banjo work on the album. And this is the track where you had thought it was a stand-up bass and it was actually a jug because that oh, jug backbeat yeah. was what really drew me into this because song. It's, it's not a, like a strong backbeat that is a bass line. It sounds and, and the jug work in this almost was great. exactly like if you were pluck a bass string and then slide immediately after it has mm-hmm. that same exact effect you know that that like large this, yeah. reverberation um, and it really really was like the backbone of the song it was it the really heartbeat. Was, it was yeah. quite what, what literally a heartbeat yeah. at times and, and this is like we're, we're back to a kind of like old style one chord vamp for this one yeah where exactly. it's basically just on the one chord but they're doing like the fiddle and banjo parts of it the fiddler's doing kind of more drawn out notes and the banjo's kind of um doing more of a strummy rhythm to that yeah and then it'll break down into like a where the, where the fiddle and banjo start doing these like you know the banjo's doing a, a claw hammer style picking pattern mm-hmm. and the fiddle is you know sawing at the eighth notes and yeah. that creates it's it's not so much dynamics but in terms of like that rhythm variance from like a slower thing happening to like m- choppier bits well, that's that, what that you keeps were it interesting uh, discussing before uh, before the yeah. podcast um an irish uh manner of, of set planning so to speak yeah. to change up your rhythms on a dime mm-hmm. like that it's uh it is good showmanship and i i think that is probably where mm-hmm. the end of this album draws its power yeah it's because of the the variations even within the yeah. tracks and th- this is like um this actually kind of this one harkens back to the very first track because um it's also got like what would have normally been a pretty traditional like four to the floor real beat going on but the jug is actually doing kind of an interesting polyrhythm the way the snare drum was doing um, on the first track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, de- and I it's definitely very apparent. And, too, and that yeah. kind of add that adds a nice color to it that you don't. It, it kind of it makes you sit up and listen and pay attention because like, oh wait a minute, it's doing something slightly different rhythmically, possibly modern, possibly something just traditional but more obscure. But it makes you take notice. Yeah, that definitely. goes even further in track twelve. Yeah, so uh, hands down the longest track title we've had in a while. I truly understand that you love another man. Is track twelve on the record? Um, this one. This was a. This was playing with meter, uh, just as he was describing it. Not just doing something a little bit different. This was uh, going from four four to three four to four four to all the rhythms like on a, on a on a dime. It was. It was really keeping you on your toes, I think, probably more yeah. so than any other track. And it was for. the punctuation of the percussion, to get all alliteration on us, that really made this mm-hmm. a very pointed song. Very well done. Well, this had the, the disharmony between the male and female vocalist, too, which mm-hmm. did a beautiful job of setting up emotions. Yeah. On the other hand, though, I still felt the, the ditty quality. Not that there was any shortage of ditties here. <laughs> but you know, it's it's um it's amazing how they actually managed to fuse such uh, rhythmic complexity. Would you say that the, this mm-hmm. album is ditty tastic? No, I would no, not say that. No one I, would, that would say that yeah. except for you, <laughs> well, and that's either. bad. You have yeah. said it. I have. It's been said. It can't be taken. It's back. actually good that no one else would say it. Yes, that's yeah. actually good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably for the better. All we have to do is like you know toss them in a dumpster somewhere, and, and the world would be done. rid of saying stuff like that. See okay, the door, so you you're gonna see the door. You're gonna you're gonna bleep that on air if, if you could. Uh, uh, it'll just be beep tastic. <laughs> I'm gonna leave him guessing. You dug your hole. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Um, so we got the love, we got the fife on this track again. Yeah, yeah this is where it came back in. It came back in, and it actually was used sparingly enough to not wear, but yet it, it created. It was an accent of a on the song. Yeah, exactly. It did a good backbone of 
working mm. with the vocals. That's that's the one thing they seem mm. that the whole the whole album seems to do very well is they know how to complement their vocals and to use instruments to expand them, which sometimes the instruments of another person singing, sometimes mm. it's a cello, a banjo. The the five did that in this, and it did a great job. Mm-hmm. That was done as early as Ruby. Yeah, and what's interesting is that this is like, um, pro- I mean, I haven't actually looked, but it's probably as long as you know, Bluey Bum Bum. Yeah. But um, not as. It 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 didn't get old. It didn't partially add, because no. it's because because the beat is so slippery. Yeah, they were because both tracks at around four minutes, and but this like, one definitely felt. More cohesive and engaging. This this one kept you on your toes. It's like you're saying that yep. you know, with 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 the beat doing all this weird stuff and the meter shifting around on you. Yeah. I kind of um, wish this one was a little bit longer, to be honest. I wanted maybe a little more showcasing with the instruments. Because well, it was evolving. I think, I think as it, it shifted up, shifted up that rhythm like any number of times. In yeah. fact, the only time they they really kind of solidified it at four four was the choruses. Um, but it's it's counterintuitive. The fact that you have that that ditty element, it seems so lighthearted mm-hmm. combined with these rhythmic complexities. And um, the chorus was very memorable and very catchy. It was. Which, which a lot of these tracks that were more mm-hmm. upbeat sounding yeah. had very catchy choruses that were very engaging and very much pulled you in. What was interesting is also it's like you get this weird rhythm and that kind of thing happened a lot but it's in a way that's very controlled as well because it's, it's definitely a structure. It's an odd structure. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a, a very, controlled chaos. It's, 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 it's asymmetric but it's not, it's not chaotic. Like when you yeah. hear some old blues if you hear Muddy Waters playing oh yeah sure. or you Absolutely. know some of the other guys from back, back like uh, Mississippi John Hurt they do a lot of stuff where they just sort of hang a few extra beats on the end right. of the phrase and it w- really would be um, arbitrary it would right? almost it would not, seem that way it would not be though. a pattern you'd have, to, you'd have to think about it for a minute though like the first the first and second listen it, it almost does seem impromptu yeah, of course but, it can't you, possibly when... be impromptu otherwise they would lose their not form. with that many instruments exactly yeah yeah yeah. But they're they're definitely, it's definitely all intentional here, yep. and it's it's like very carefully orchestrated. It's something that um you know later on Captain Beefheart was really good at. He do some crazy <laughs> stuff where it really sounded chaotic, but then they do the whole thing again in the next phrase. It's like oh wait a minute, they're just like repeating this crazy complex thing. I heard that. How did they do Captain that? <laughs> uh, moving on to track thirteen, we have No Man's Mama. Alright. Mm. Uh, I liked this track. This was I, this, I really love this track. This wasn't a like love, this was just pure awesome. Yeah. First It starts off in this like nineteen twenties beautiful just songstress kind of style. This was yeah. nice this, and slow. This yeah. really, really rang of Tremonitia, the only opera that Scott Joplin ever wrote. Scott Joplin's one of the most famous ragtime players ever to mm. ever to walk the earth. And he did actually manage to gain enough acclaim to actually do an opera. And, of course, when he did that, he had to uh, side with, you know, what was popular in more standard 20s white culture. And that tended to go, be, go with 1920s standards. I heard that here, but yet not without its element of mm-hmm. ragtime or soul. All that stuff was here. And it was a perfect blend. It ended with the lines, and I love these, because the whole song is actually about a, a divorce. The culmination of a divorce. This ends the five-year war. I am myself once more. I love that. It's just. And I mean, the song is all right about this. Into, it's from the perspective yeah. of the woman being nobody's mama, and, and she doesn't want to yeah, be anyone's mother. It, it ends the five-year war and goes straight into that high energy. I'm free. I'm coming out and yeah. all that, and it's just so uplifting and upbeat. 
And the turn that the track you takes is really great. You can't and, yeah, help but smile. Like, it's one of these like really long intro tracks. Yeah, enough to make you think that's going to be it's, the song. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the kind of thing that Cole Porter was great at, and you'd yep. hear Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Frank Sinatra would do that kind of thing. And all of these artists are the perfect blend yeah. of uh, yeah, early absolutely. 20th century it soul music. It definitely had that ragtime feel, and it also reminded me of uh, Memphis Minnie. Who did a lot of stuff that was also kind of in this style and, and tended to be kind of um, very, very progressively feminist for its time. <laughs> this wasn't that though. At, at this was not quite, but it it was very approachable yeah. in its feminist elements. It wasn't you know scary femi- feminist, which can that can come no, off. It, sometimes. it was very humorous. It which, was which is typical the, of like Memphis Minnie and other people doing this kind of rag music. Yeah, I've got twin beds, and I take pleasure in announcing ones for sale. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's always tongue in cheek. Yeah. It's I don't need a man anymore, but not like I'm angry at them. But it's, you know it's, what? It's really, I'm moving on with my life. I've yeah. I've I'm a new person. You got that reinvention of herself in the. B section, the reinvention of the music. It's it's, and it's witty just, and carefree. Yeah, it's got yeah. it's which, got which hope. It, it's got, got love. It's there got was love. there was a witty, carefree nature to 1920s feminism. <laughs> That's got kind of turned on its head in 1960s feminism. But it's uh it's nice to see. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be there's reminded no anger. Of. That's that's what's great about it. But there's yeah, this no is, anger in this. Yeah, this song is all just about her and moving forward and 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 owning it herself. Thank God that's over. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's a celebration almost. Um, it, it's not even almost. It's totally a celebration. Yeah. Um, moving into our second to last track, track 14, Briggs Corn Shucking Jig slash Camp Town Hornpipe. It's a two-part song, um, hence the two titles. And this is an all-instrumental track, if I remember correctly. Well, yes. Instrumental. And, and, and it's, it starts off with a very... Um, with the banjo sound that's very reminiscent of like a really really early style of banjo playing that was um, played primarily um, by black musicians on gut string gourd banjos mm. um, some of the very earliest um, banjos that showed up in America literally the kinds of things you'd be sitting around a campfire when campfires were your only recourse as a pioneer um, because this yeah. was very 18th century to me this was this is not even you know 19th century, you see start, certain styles start to merge here and there. Population centers start to grow. There was a, there was a rustic nature to this in, in a very extreme degree. I think, I think is, if I remember correctly, banjos didn't really start coming over from Africa until the 1830s. Oh, really? So it would have been 19th century, but early 19th century. Um, pre-civ- well, I say it, I say it yeah. loosely, considering we don't pre-civ- have... Pre-Bellum, antebellum, post-Bellum? Antebellum. Antebellum. Well... Oh, yeah. But and and it's but but it's not actually being played on a gourd banjo. You can tell it's a steel string banjo, and that gives it a slightly more modern resonance and yeah. some sort of chord work with some major sevenths in there, which that's adds, true. Those, those add moments a distinctive bring, flavor to it, and then, the and then it's sort of uh, you get some it's like some tambourine bells or something, and the yeah. bones are clacking away in the background too, and then and then it shifts into when it shifts into the hornpipe from sort of a jig into a hornpipe, a different kind of dancing rhythm. Um, it, it goes into your traditional southern claw hammer style banjo. Yeah. I, I did enjoy part B, the the hornpipe, a lot more 
And it's kind of hard for me to put my finger on it. I don't. I don't really know what it is. It had more boogie. I kind of yeah. yeah it definitely it, had a lot, a little more umph. To I actually it, enjoyed the would. first part more. Well, I, I like the simplicity of it. You, you like complexity and, and simplicity. And actually, the and first part was a lot more simple. The first part was a little more unusual musically. Was it was it was more. It was very lackadaisical. I mean, yeah. You've never got to use that word on the podcast. I don't think. I know that's one of your words. Is it? Do they the, the say shit? Is it? Yeah, no, no. Yes. <laughs> I always no, tend to say, right. I always put in X accidentally, like I'm going for laxative or something, but... Yeah. A laxadaisical is very different than that. You're going for laxadaisical. Yeah. Um, anyway, the horn type... Kind. Yeah, definitely more upbeat. Definitely... Yeah. That, it, energy. There was a lot more energy to it. It's funny, when I was listening to this record the first time, hearing this song, I was like, oh great, a, a strong instrumental track, this is a great conclusion. And then I started to hear the next track, which we're going to get into, Pretty Bird. And when that started, I, I, my initial reaction was, oh man, that would have been a great end, this is going to stink. But boy was I wrong, because oh this track is a perfect end of the record. This, It's called Pretty Bird, it's an all-vocal track, just the lead singer, what was her name again? Rhiannon Giddens. Singing by herself, nobody else, and it was just beautiful. You go through such a range of emotions just through the way she sings the song without anything else backing her up. It's absolutely gorgeous and completely engaging on a very minimalistic level. And she does so much even with just her voice, so it's not even that minimalistic. So, so Matt, tell us how you really feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I will agree... Mostly, it was a great showcase of her vocal work, but it was uh, there was something missing for me because, uh, to be honest, Here we this go. no, this obviously has to be the last song. Just the way it's designed, it has to be the last song. It's obvious she's an incredible singer. Too predictable for you? No, but I think it's a lack. The lack of like a melody, just—it's just doesn't it's do it. It's all me. nothing but melody. Yeah, that's no, all that's the song is—is is melody. What's the word I'm looking harmony? for? Harmony. Thank you. Lack of <laughs> harmony. The lack of strike that. Reverse it. It's the lack of any beat that just. I disagree. After, that is, after all this that's, work, that's with, a taste thing. Yeah. This. I think it's true. It's, these days, you really don't get too much solo singing. Uh, you often don't get too much solo music of anything, except for maybe guitar. But here's the thing. I'm talking about a little bit later. But we're going into everything. The, piano. the other fourteen tracks of this album, very heavily beat driven, very heavily oriented towards timing. This had no beat, no timing to it. That's precisely what made it the most beautiful juxtaposition. Yes, exactly. A great conclusion to a record like this is taking it all away. It's the same reason we really liked. Certain bands where they completely turn things on their head, making a good wrap up to this a, is to a like, record. Th- it's it's always a big dilemma either in an album or when you're playing a show and planning a set. How you're going to finish off? Are you going to finish with a big bang, a big huge finale finish number, or are you going to just do something super stark? And the cool. Sometimes um, um, I play with the Wasties as well. I've been on the show previously, right, and sometimes we'll finish with something like the Parting Glass, yeah. which we just have Molly singing it. Yeah. Um, acapella in free meter and and sometimes that's the best way to finish a night just something slow and beautiful and haunting and sometimes that's what really seals the deal sometimes you want to do it the other way you want to do it with you know 
Right. Well, you've also rising. You guys have also done your clothes where you do we'll the do Doctor stuff. Who theme and Slothy Dog, and yeah. that's a high energy clothes. But I mean, yeah. Well, e- either either way can work. I think I think they totally nailed it with them. Yeah, I think me this too. is this is in the finest tradition of both sort of the plain song of, of folk music where you'd have you know people gathering after dinner and like the last song of the evening somebody would just sing because maybe the, you know that's like that super basicness of like this is what it all boils down to in the end the uh, human being making music in the most simple way we have which is to sing no instruments no nothing just like mm-hmm. a, a woman and her voice yeah and it's the best tradition of, think- of like gospel or you know soul and all that stuff just like the voice doing its one thing and I love it Me I too. love this track I, I think it finishes the album off fantastically and very strongly we always talk about album arc and how sometimes track one should be cyclical with the final track mm-hmm. and how they should wrap together but I like how this is a solid start and a solid finish it's not cyclical it's a complete it's a complete album in the fact that you start one way you end another way and that's it that's the end the fact of the matter is if, as much as I really do like the Briggs corn shucking jig. It's it was <laughs> slash camp town hornpipe. Thank you. I the, the fact of the matter is if it, when it comes to the end of that track, I would have had very much a oh it's done now. Huh. Yeah. Huh. That's surprising. Like because there's not enough it variation It does kind of there. just end. Yeah. I mean, I I do enjoy the simplicity of that track, which does again in more of a subtle sense vary with the previous tracks being really simple, really really lazy around the campfire as such. But that's not that's not enough. It's not enough of a punch, you know. We're we're not looking for subtlety when you're when you're closing off a record. Sometimes you are, but there's there's, there's nothing ironic about this record. Why would you be going for subtlety? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, well, uh, let's start heading into our wrap up. I guess I'll get started. Yes. Um, this track was an interesting listen for me because I mean I like my fair share of uh, of folk and and traditional. I like blues, and I'm starting to listen to a lot more of it too. But I don't honestly know what to make of it the first time I heard it. I, I liked parts. I didn't like other parts. But on the second listen, I kind of really got a perspective of the track. And I stopped looking for a linking factor other than their musicianship. Because they jump around a lot on the record. They don't. There's no solid arc. Except in, like we were talking about, the fact that there is no arc is the solid arc. That they are kind of all over the place and they're kind of trying to do their own thing. Let me just interject to say that I do believe there's, there's a... Um, a showmanship arc. Okay, and that's part of oh, what yeah, we were just fair. discussing with the way they chose to conclude it. Yeah, that's true, and and it really does kind of wrap up that the album quite nicely. Um, as far as tastes, there's some stuff that I really liked, some other stuff that I didn't. Um, but there was nothing that was bad. Even if I didn't personally like it, there's clearly talent in just about all of these tracks, even if some were more simplistic than others. Um, but there's clearly a talent from, from beginning to end in this record. I mean, you can't really deny that, especially with the vocals, the banjo. I mean, all of the instrumentation is just, is, again, sometimes a little rough around the edges, but I feel like even that stuff is very calculated in some of how rough it is. It's controlled chaos, almost, as we were saying before. Um, you know, that being said, I think... From John's perspective, I may agree a little that some of the lyrics here were a little light. Um, that's not necessarily bad, but I also didn't really identify with all of the lyrics on the record. There were other some moments where I did and some moments where I didn't. I'll say that you're not supposed to. Yeah. The the lyrics, uh, especially in the more high-tempo stuff, is just to get you to move along with it. 
if you're not dancing, you're singing along because you're going to have easy choruses to pick up on a first listen, stuff you can easily sing to. Yeah. That's the point. And they want to capture Not you. in every case, but in many cases here, the relevancy of the lyrics mm-hmm. gets lost. Yeah. It gets a little bit lost in the modern day. Some stuff is eternal. Some stuff you could probably sing about at the end of time, but yeah. there is a good deal here, which there, is a little there, bit dated. Yeah, it falls a little short. I mean, also, obviously, if you're someone who specifically likes this band or this style of music, this record's going to be right up your alley. You might dislike a few tracks, but even those tracks aren't bad per se. It just may not fit mm-hmm. what you're looking for in the record. Um, all in all... Um, I think that they set out to clearly achieve what they were going for. I think some tracks fell short, and I really like what have put would have pushed it to that max level was some of the lighter tracks like Readem John and a couple others that we mentioned that just kind of fell a little short. If they did a little something else with it, it would really push it to that next level. That being said, it's definitely clear above average. It's clear. It's not. It's definitely above the threes. I think for me, it's a solid four. It's just a nice solid four for me. You know, what might have pushed it to the next level. From four to four and a half or five is again. If there was, the we we talked a lot that there were some tracks that were just missing something. It wasn't always identifiable what the something was, but it was missing something. So for me, it's a four. I like it. Um, you know, and I definitely give it another listen. I definitely enjoyed it. On my side, I'm really intrigued with the the variances we're getting in this album. Uh, you, you got to take this one without the theme work, without an arc or something like that, because there's just so many different elements being introduced in here, not just instrumentally, but just in style. There's blues, there's bluegrass, there's a little bit of jazz, there's a little bit of pop, there's beatboxing. you got a lot of different elements coming together in a folk kind of tradition. Very intriguing. Obvious craftsmanship in the instruments. They know what they're doing. Obvious quality in in the vocals. Some there was just some lacking elements here and there. Read 'em John is the perfect example, but even Run Mountain had a very tired kind of a feel to it. Little D Bum Bum, very classic. It wasn't something new. There was a couple of things there where I can go and say I've heard that a thousand times because it's been used in movies and it it's been used in television and it's been used in music just so often and while there was a lot of restatements of especially with the fiddle and banjo work that was just very inventive some of it felt very tired and that that detracts as a whole for me it it was really really good though that's the whole thing it was really good three five it is above the rest, but I really can't say it's it's a four level kind of a thing. I'm, the fusions are great, but because it wasn't just one or two fusions of really trying to purvey folk, because it was more experimentation, I just can't push it up to those fours yet. Let's look at what this album is. You could take it one or two ways in terms of arc, as I said before. On one hand. I could easily see this as the set for any given night, say a town gathering or something. It, it strikes me as either you're going for something retro, say a town is putting on some sort of retro event, or something that could easily pop out of the turn of the century. Or, the other, on the other hand, you could also consider this an eclectic showcase of styles for all the experiences of Americana, the history as it were, as we 
lead toward urbanization and everything. And for the holdouts as well. Um, it's, it's a love of the countryside. It's a love of, of the types of experiences you have in the countryside, such as camping. It is just like minor things, but there's also really strong romantic statements here. Uh, the kind of things you just couldn't say in a more modern sense. So I do appreciate, I appreciate the kind of thing that could, it seems as if it's on its way out. And I like to see it reflected by certain people as tradition. It's, it's, it almost is a museum piece in a way. And I know we talked about how, you know, the, with these bands, it, it's more customary to infuse a little bit of the new into the old, and that's how you really kind of keep things relevant. But I kind of like the museum piece. I mean, to be honest, when I look back on it, the, the, the tracks that really took that the furthest were Ruby, for the reason of the beatboxing, um, and Country Girl, and Leaving Eden for the reasons of her style of singing. They, as much as I do like these tracks, can sometimes seem out of place. Because when you have 15 tracks, track 3, then you have 12 tracks of museum pieces, which really don't play around with, uh, with historical fusions at all, in many ways. They are perfect products of the time period. Then you know, it, 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 it really diminishes the, the impact of those other... It seems like that would be fit for another project. Not necessarily another band, but another project. Um, so just to go back to what John was saying, yes, there are holes. There are holes where it could seem boring, but only in a modern sense. It is... It's a niche thing. It's very much a niche thing. You need to be in the mood, in my opinion, to go for this, which which is why it's going to get knocked down a little bit. The, you know, it, it lacks a, a universality. If you didn't have that experience, you're very much so not predisposed unless you have an affinity for it. So, I'm going to have to agree with John. I think I think this is a solid 3.5. I, I can't bring it to 4 for the, for the universal reasons, but they are damn good musicians in almost every regard. So, I think, I th think 3.5 is fair for that. I think it may be if they, they truly focused on the style of music they're playing, they would be a forefront artist of that style. I already think they're a forefront artist of that style. And it's not to say that I don't think that, you know, a, a four-plus album could be achieved with this style, but it, it, it seems like it would have to be a little bit more, um, a little more clever in the mixing. Here's in, of, of the old and the new, I mean. I was actually going to address that, um, some of this stuff. I, I have sort of two perspectives on coming at this album from. One of them is... Um, I've been listening to this band for a while and I've been listening to their early stuff and um, this is sort of the second album they've done where they've been trying to infuse more modern things into their work. Most of their earlier work has been very much just the museum pieces, just straight working within we're keeping alive the North Carolina African American fiddle music tradition um, doing the old songs not writing new stuff doing the old instruments and you know showcasing a sort of a lesser known side of that kind of, of, of folk music but still making it a museum um, piece and, and they've been sort of doing a balancing act and sort of the other perspective is like what I try to do as well as a musician the kind of because I love a lot of you know roots in Americana stuff and especially you know the actual early folk that went into it the early Delta Blues 
uh, North Mississippi Hill Country Blues, uh, Ragtime, Early Jazz, Dixieland, Appalachian Folk Music, sure. Early Country Cowboy Songs. I grew songs. up on Ragtime as a piano player. Yeah. So, I mean, and when I do, you know, some of the stuff I do, I like to cover old traditional tunes and then sort of reinterpret them or sort of channel them through the kind of punk rock that I cut my teeth on when I was first starting to get into music. And and there's a very interesting balancing act that an artist has to do between acting as a museum curator and making things new. And I think that they are definitely getting the hang of it. Hmm. I think that personally i think tracks like country girl sort of fall on their face um some some of the tracks are are not they you know they're misses they miss their mark um they're they're on the right path and i think i definitely also say this is like a three and a half album i think partially because as much as i like the good songs none of them are like totally mind-blowing to me and it's not just not an album that made me as excited as other things have. I think it might grow on me. I think the more I listen to it, the more I'm liking some of the stuff. And, and sometimes, you know, albums just don't knock you over the head the first time. You just have to spend more time with them. I think... I and think I like them. Um, oh, continue. Sorry. In terms of their musicmanship, I like that these guys are really solid and not actually all that flashy. We keep We talk okay. about places where they're they're showcasing their musicmanship but they're, what they're all what they're really showcasing a lot of this stuff is tastefulness and i love tasteful music there are you know people talk about when they talk about folk music they'll talk about nickel creek and chris Thiele, who's their mandolin player who plays blazingly fast but i don't think the guy has a lot of style hmm. you know he's very technically good but i'd rather hear somebody who can play half the notes but with more soul and there are a lot of people who you hear are just like they have something to prove and they're being super flashy and super like, look how good I am, look how much I can do. These guys sound like they're much more confident. Like they don't have to prove anything to anybody. They're just doing it for themselves. And you hear that they're good in a way that's like they, ha they have... They have a vision in mind, it seems. Yeah, they have a vision and they have taste. And it's, I think that's a very important thing when somebody is like, good and technically proficient without being flashy because like we were saying a lot of these tunes are very simple a lot of the lyrics are poppy and easy to catch along with and there was always a very interesting sort of dichotomy happening in early folk music between it being you know these sort of fiddlers who are showing what they can do and the best fiddler gets to play the dances and make a living and get the girls but this also still being a very democratic music a people's music something that anybody can pick up and learn that is not prohibitive the way super complex jazz or progressive rock or you know fancy symphonic metal might be in our day and age um stuff that anybody can pick up which is you know one of the reasons i find a lot of commonality between early folk music and punk rock is well, because it's this democratic thing it, because it's, it's this very it's a lot of it is about being very visceral and beat driven and something you can easily connect to and easily pick up and do and and be an organic sort of a you know, more about community and less about hierarchy, less about having, you know, worshipping an idol on an instrument and more being like learning at the feet of the master and then going out and doing it yourself and running, taking the ball and running with the tradition, making it do what you want and not feeling like you're doing something sinful by not being a purist. Yeah, I... I everybody I, gets yeah. an equal say in how this music is going to evolve, how it's going to change. And I just want to say, like, after talking about it, I'm 
kind of starting to... I think I'm looking at this album with rose-colored glasses because the more... The points that... Especially... I mean, John was sort of similar to me but kind of expanding a bit. But the points that you two made kind of made me realize that a lot of the things that gave this album a high rating for me are very specific and it's not there's a lot more album besides those specific moments I don't know I think I don't think you're allowed to change your, your rating that's not true because <laughs> we, we never do that actually oh, no. we've done it many a time so we're going you sarcasm, sarcasm. sarcasm. <laughs> no I think I'm, I think I'm gonna drop it down I'm, I still think I, I give them a little more credit than that I'm gonna drop it to a 375 I think that there's I, still gotta be different well, it's not even that. It's more the fact that I'm still seeing things. I think in in on a, on a level with this album that that I'm. It's it's it, it's. It's I will a little be. More. I will be. I'll, I'll speak to what uh, Painless said. This is something that I definitely see growing. Yeah. yeah. This is with, this like, is end of year. Yeah. I'm gonna change it to like a four kind of an album, possibly with repetitions. Yeah. Just just being able to pick but out you know, some more on, banjo on the, work or 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 uh, fife work. I don't know. On the flip side of that. When I hear this album, I also hear all the things they didn't do. Yeah. I hear the potential yeah. for some of the things that they... Like, some of the stuff, like the very first track, I thought, like, um, they, they had the beatboxing and the, and the polyrhythm going on. I felt like, yeah, this, is, this definitely sounds different. They're adding those elements, and this is gelling nicely, and some of the other songs as well. Some of them not so much. I think that the next album they do is e- going to be even better, and they're, they're yeah. like, ha- having followed the arc of their early work through this, I I see that they definitely have more room to grow, and they haven't like, they haven't quite nailed what they're trying to. And do. I think that's my thing. I'm con- I'm convinced the style of music isn't limited to di- to ditties. Like yeah. I, I I I've heard, I've heard more fulfilled ideas mm. in that regard. I I know it's possible. Um, I I just do happen to think that based on this record, that was the point was yeah. to show show a more uh, eclectic and, style. And that's why I want to bring my rating down a step back because I agree with that. I think there's more potential and giving this a four... That's a quarter step, dude. Yeah, well, a quarter step back at least. <laughs> I think that it it's... it's Because you're right, there is this potential that they haven't quite explored so I'm going to knock it down a half a step. However, um, overall on a rating, for the simple ignore it, listen to it, buy it, definitely listen to it. It's definitely worth hearing. This is a record that's fun. You can dance mm-hmm. to it. It's definitely worth, worth giving a listen. Um... With that wrap-up of the album, um, we're going to have Painless play another song for us, and uh, then we'll talk a little more.
boat on the rails in a Pullman. The freight car's just fine by me. Just give me my hat and my satchel and a good walking stick in my hand. There are wonders to see when you're wandering free, just around. Thanks, Painless. That was great. Now, uh, I want to get into a little bit You're about... kind. <laughs> I want to get in a little bit more about you, because um, the more you. that I look at, at, at where this is going, getting into our big instrument conversation is just not going to be feasible, because there's so much to talk about. I'd rather at least talk about you first. I got, and... I got two big questions. Okay. And these are probably going to be... These are going to be my focus. One, you said you were a punker that went folk. Mm-hmm. I would like to kind of know how that works, but two, and this is this is something. How did you choose your instrument, or did it choose you, or why do you play the music you play? What specifically instrumentally? Okay, well, um, we'll start at the beginning. Um, this is where one starts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not Actually, we're starting in the middle now. There could be flashbacks. Oh, these many years ago, when I was just a wee whippersnapper. Um, well, when I was a wee whippersnapper, around 12 or so, is when I first started really kind of, I feel like my musical awareness started happening. You know, you get to, you know, seventh grade or so, and you start, like... You start picking out your own albums, as exactly. opposed to what's on the radio or What's on the radio, dad. exactly, exactly. And and when, when, in my case, it was, I think, 1993, um... Green Day just came out with Dookie. Dookie. Yeah. Offspring that came out with Smash. That was a big one for me too, yeah. And oh, man. Um, that was all she wrote. It was punk rock. Yeah. And um, 
being the inquisitive lad that I was, I you know later on started digging. Like, okay, this is punk rock. I like this punk rock. What else is there? Oh, this went back to the seventies. There are these guys called the Sex Pistols and the Ramones, and you know all these other California bands who um, didn't make it to where I I grew up in Israel. So I only kind of got like the what made it onto MTV and made it international, which was Green Day and The Offspring and you know some other stuff around them, but like Rancid didn't really cross the pond. So I I sort of found out about them and No Effects later, mostly because I'd see these little bits of you know old show flyers that The Offspring would put in their albums and I'd be like, yeah. oh, who are all these other bands they keep mentioning? <laughs> um, so so punk rock was kind of my first my own personal musical love. And I sort of had a bit of a, you know, awareness of folk music going on. My mom was a big Joni Mitchell fan, and you know, oh, there you par- go. My parents, you know, got me onto Dylan and stuff like that. Um, so, and I never like really rejected all that much of their music. Um, well, some of it, yes. And there's some Hollow Notes tapes that I, oh. fu- I loved when I was six. And, and, and now it is just like, oh, God. Hollow Notes had a special, you know, I mean, I can still go back to it, just kind of laugh at it. Because, I mean, a lot of that stuff was very silly. And uh, yeah, you gotta, it's just but... like, there, there's some stuff that I thought was so cool. Of course. Like, just, just before my, like, musical blossoming, when I was still, like, convincing myself that whatever was on the radio... Yeah, it was cool. I was like really into the Pet Shop Boys. Oh man, <laughs> I thought I thought I thought that album very. I thought it was like that was you know high art. That was the poop right there. Yeah, that was the poop. <laughs> that was the shizzle. And nowadays, not so. Much. I mean, that that one I can t- still listen to somewhat nostalgically and not laugh. Not laugh, yeah. uh, but I'm not really that into it mm-hmm. anymore. 80s pop had its place. It did. It gave us. What did it give us? A lot. Bad haircuts, Stop. cool music videos. Something to laugh at. Well, 80s no, pop was the music video generation. Video. Yeah, well. It gave us amazing music videos. Yeah, because that was like the age where music videos really became a thing was during 80s pop. But um, So have you been so, playing mandolin your whole life? No, or? not at all. I started playing guitar, actually. Well, okay. no, I started playing piano. I was in sixth grade, and I had some. I had a friend who played drums, and I thought, that was so cool. I want to play drums. And my mom's like, you want to play drums first, you get good at a real instrument. <laughs> you can play piano. If you get good at piano, then we'll see about drums. Le- drums. Which probably her tactic was, he'll forget about drums by then. Yeah, right. And it worked. So, so I took piano lessons for about six years. And I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was nice. And it actually gave me really good grounding and sort of like understanding musical structure. I don't have perfect pitch or anything remotely like absolute hearing in terms of pitch and stuff, but I have very good relative hearing. I'm good at and you know looking at a tune and saying, okay, here's the fundamental note. This is going to the fourth and the fifth, and that one's major, that one's minor. That's a six and a two. Like I, I can understand structure, and I'm good for like at picking out tunes that I hear. So you can, I can relate with that. You, you can, can actually have, um, speak to Steve. <laughs> yeah, not to quite Steve at his level, but a little well, bit. Eh. <laughs> so, so I started out. I was going to ask, uh, the classical or jazz lessons? Um, bit of both. Oh, my teacher was very flexible about things, and you know, so you know, we learned some classical stuff, and I enjoyed, it, and I I love Mozart and Bach, um, but you know, he let me do some boogie woogie. I love this sort of you know Dorsey uh, stuff, and you know, in the mood stuff like that. I'm thinking about the very basic boogie-woogie stuff that I was introduced to. I'd still say that there were classical lessons that I really didn't get my jazz experience until college. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's funny that you got a mix. But, you know, every teacher's different. Yeah. Anyway, so, and, you know, about around high school, it's like, dude, guitar's where it's at. Chicks dig the guitar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
That's so I begged my mom to teach me guitar because she she had a guitar and, uh-huh. and she kept saying, "Yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it." And she never got around to it. So I taught myself, and slowly, slowly, slowly got better. Uh, I actually played in a punk band after after my army service. I met a friend who played bass, and we found out we both liked the same music. So we were writing songs, some in English, some in Hebrew, and and we actually had a band for a while. And that was a lot of fun. What was the name of the band? The band was called Fishy Boom. Fishy Boom, interesting. I'll, I'll play that for you sometime. Cool. Oh, you have some recorded stuff. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, I'll have to did, hear that. We, yeah, we, we recorded an album. Oh, that's great. I'll have was, to definitely uh, check that out. It was something. It was and so <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty. I'm still pretty proud of it. We, we were pretty good. And so then, so you learned the guitar and then moved I'm on sorry. to mandolin from there. I got to college. Yeah. Started listening to a bit of bluegrass. Mm-hmm. The old brother, where art thou? Oh yeah, sure, cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love that. Very aware of stuff, and yeah. I, I heard that "Man of Constant Sorrow" song. I was like, oh, it's wow, such a great song. This is really good. I'm yeah. taking, and and it was like very different. Yeah. From the kind of musical paradigms I was used to in terms of the structures and the instruments and the the vocals and like. I recognize this because, you know, we'd all heard that stuff before yeah, at some sure. point, but you never really thought about it that much until then. It became a thing. It was trending. Yeah. And, was, and I had a, an art teacher in college who was also a musician. He played the mandolin. He's like, ow, oh, this newfangled bluegrass stuff. Listen to the old school. I was listening to Alan, Alison Krauss in Union Station. We were very much sort of like yeah. modern bluegrass kind of pushing the boundaries but very 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 slick yeah and he was much more in the old time folk tradition he actually sold me a mandolin he let me borrow one of oh, his cool. mandolins to learn on can we actually announce where you went to college because I might explain something <laughs> I went to UC Santa Cruz in oh, California okay. California oh, cool. gotcha. right at the north tip of the Monterey Bay and my uh, lithography teacher Paul Rangel who's a fantastic musician and uh Recently retired from teaching, but is still playing a lot. Oh, cool! Um, he sort of he turned me on to a lot of old school music, and I actually I would go to the record store and look for the most obscure old banjo players I could find, just so I could like come back to class and impress and be like, <laughs> yeah. So I've been listening to some Roscoe Holcomb lately. That's he's like, you know Roscoe Holcomb? No way! I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, and and so that actually ended up being a great way to learn new music. Just find sure, stuff of course, buying obscure stuff you hadn't heard before and then and listening that's when to. I, that's it. when I started playing. Love. <laughs> I started playing mandolin, and I'd written some later on when I was in, uh, in New York and started doing this Painless Parker thing. I was thinking about some of the older punk songs I've written and realizing that I could actually probably play them on the mandolin and make them as kind of folk songs. Oh, and cool. I was I, I definitely had that feeling of like there's this folk stuff and it, a lot of it is topical and political and it's raw and kind of ragged and, and you know you hear all these scra- old scratchy 78s from back in the day sure and and you start to hear the commonality you start you're, you're making doing that a lot connection. of a lot of words are the basically doing punk right there and you start yeah. saying political and, uh, and beat also just up. Mu- music music that you don't have to be super produced to be good. You don't. It was well. That's punk. Yeah. It was down home. Some of it. I mean, it was down home. It was local. Very it was organic. Simple. It was grassroots. Yeah. It was. It was a little rowdy. People got a little. little? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, just, I'm, just I'm talking about the folk music. Oh, okay. the folk music is. You know, I thought we were still old, old. No, I'm, no, I'm, 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 If you, if you look at old, what you know, what in folk circles is called old time, which is mostly that Appalachian stuff. I keep going on about. Um, and even, you know, early cowboy stuff, Hank Williams, you know, you think of it as kind of hokey and stuff, but he was a hellraiser. He you know, a whiskey drinker and a womanizer, and uh, that guy knew how to, you know, he was a wild child. <laughs> so when did you come to New York? I came to New York in 2007 from okay. grad school, actually, and brought my mandolin with me. 
and with a um, song in your heart and a gleam in your eye. I I was I wasn't thinking about mandolin that much then because I was I was too busy thinking about typography and fonts, and oh, right. writing design. Because that's um, what you went to grad school for, right? Was yeah, design. it was for design, and I I worked subsequently at, at a type design studio. Um, but you know I was kind of thinking about music again for a while. And, well, I should do something, so I came up with a stage name and started just recording stuff for fun as just covers that I was tweaking a little bit. And how did the stage name come about? Um, came uh, courtesy of my old buddy Captain Beefheart. Oh, yeah? He's got this song called Orange Claw Hammer. Just acapella him uh-huh. singing something that sounds kind of stream of consciousness. When you listen to it in headphones or at a high enough volume, you can actually hear the tape clicks where they edited the whole thing together <laughs> wow. out of his crazy ramblings. And he name checks Painless Parker at some point, who was actually a dentist in the late 19th century oh. <laughs> he went around with a traveling medicine show in the south with a brass band playing as he extracted teeth he had oh, wow. this top hat and a necklace of teeth that he pulled <laughs> out he was a real character he you know the the american dental association didn't like him because he was a bit of a huckster and they tried to bar him from calling himself painless parker they said there's no such thing as truly painless dentistry it's false advertising so what did Mr. Parker do? His, his real name was uh, Edgar, I believe. Edgar R.R. R. Parker. He went and legally changed his first name to Painless. Painless. <laughs> and said, screw you, ADA. I'm going to do and it. And by the time he died, he had a business empire of, dent- of dental clinics all over the West Coast. That's great. And he just his name shows up in this, in this song by Captain Beefheart. And, so and like, I listen to it, I'm like, you know, a- that's a great band name. Has anybody used this yet? And I, you know, so I went and Googled it. and Nobody did. Nobody, cool. nothing. And I'm like, damn, Done. I got to use this. Great. Oh, that's <laughs> and it, cool. And it served me well because it's got a bit of an old-timey feeling. I'm a big fan of alliteration. Yeah. Oh, that's um, me too, obviously, with the name of the site and a lot of the article titles. Heck, yeah. yeah. But alliteration, I mean, a, a mutual friend of ours, Pete, um, when I was first creating the website, you know, I couldn't think of what to name it. He's like, well, do alliteration. It's eye catchy. It pops. Mm-hmm. And it, it really pulled pull people in. So... I kind of and so I've kind of tried to do that and, and definitely Painless Parker has that feel and it's yeah and um, great. I think um, your second question was how did I end up on the mandolin yeah which um, and to be fair when I do, when I do my shows I usually do half a set on the mandolin and then half on guitar um, just because some songs are better on guitar and some right. songs I actually do on an electric guitar and rock out a bit more yeah um, although some of those have been going back to mandolin. Yeah, I've noticed that you switch enough. it up a little bit, yeah. I, you know, I like to, you know, keep myself on my toes. Well, I also like, but also... I, I, would, I would say the mandolin kind of chose me. Oh, yeah. okay. It, it oh, sort of, it was a circumstance thing where my teacher was like, here, you should try learning some mandolin. I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. I'm like, hey, this is interesting because, because the mandolin is tuned differently from a guitar. Guitars are tuned in fourths. The mandolin is tuned in intervals of fifths. And which is the same way a violin is tuned. And that kind of tuning really kind of opens up your mind to playing melody in a lot of ways, for one thing. And it also gives you these wonderful drone strings for another. Right. So you can do all this, this double stop stuff that you do on the fiddle, you can do on the mandolin, get a lot of interesting tonal stuff that's harder to achieve on the guitar. And it just let it, like, shifts your thinking. It, it, it rotates your brain 20 degrees. Right. And, and you're suddenly looking at things a little bit differently. You know, Monet once said, you know, I can move my easel two feet over and have a completely different painting, completely different landscape just because of the change in the lighting and the angle. Sure. And and that's sort of what mandolin did for my thinking musically. It's just, it lends itself to playing melodies in a way that 
the guitar doesn't. That's right. some very wise advice, which I try to pass on to other aspiring musicians here and there, which is just that the way in which a certain instrument or a certain style of playing can open your doors, just, mm-hmm. just imagination-wise. So if ever you feel like you're in yeah. a rut, do something drastically different. And I, I've, Pick up well, I've, another I've, instrument. I've been trying to teach myself fiddle. It's been a bit of an uphill battle. Okay. Going, going from fiddle to mandolin is very easy. Going from mandolin to fiddle the other way. Because you're going frets, and yeah. that's a pain. And the fiddles and mandolins are the same scale, the yeah. same tuning. Right. So I've had friends who were fiddlers who picked up the mandolin and said, Oh, I, I know this. <laughs> um, but going going to a fretless instrument, going is. to a bowed instrument, is very challenging. Well, I look forward to hopefully know. seeing you play some more fiddle in the future. That would be cool. Don't hold your breath. It's okay. going to be a while. <laughs> well, I also... Re- I really suck right now. <laughs> something I wanted to bring up is when, when I saw you play with Eli August in, at Sidewalk New York, mm-hmm. you did a really great thing for the first time I'd really seen. Um, Alex Bell, a friend of the podcast, a member of the Wasties as well, sat in with his drum kit, his bass drum, and a washboard mm-hmm. and played with you at, at Sidewalk. And that was a lot of fun to watch. It was great. He had, what, he was using quarters to play the washboard? I think so. Or old keys. Or old keys. And it was just, it, it added this dynamic to your songs that was really kind of neat. It was another thing. You know, the songs sound great on their own with the mandolin and mm-hmm. the guitar, but with him doing a little percussion, it really, you know, did some really cool stuff. I used to have a good friend named Sam, mm-hmm. uh, Sam Strick. Um, very talented game designer, and he, um, I knew him in, uh, at, at school, he was an undergrad while I was a grad, and um, he came to a show once, after, this was after we were both out of, I think he was out of school by then, um, I know I was, and I was doing a Payne's Parker show, I said, hey, you know, I, I play spoons and washboard, if you ever want to jam sometime, we should do that, so for a while, we were actually doing duo shows, oh, cool. and we did, uh, we did a bunch of stuff, and you can, there's some videos online of when we were playing together. Um, unfortunately, he um, moved to Seattle because that there was more stuff going on professionally well, there's a for lot him. Out there, yeah, for sure. game design, yeah, sure, design. Yeah. it's most of it's out. He'd there. been working with a company in New York that went under, uh-huh. and he was just like, "Yeah, I, I need to be in the Pacific Northwest. That's yeah. where it's at." So, um, sadly, he's on the other coast now, um, and I miss him because we had a lot of fun together. Sure. But um, Alex has been pretty excited about the washboard. Yeah. He's, um, I think you can play spoons as well. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, that definitely added a nice touch, and it was still like, still super portable. Yeah. That's the other thing that's really nice about mandolins. They're small. Yeah. They can go everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I also pianos. <laughs> and I also like um, the idea of you've told me, and I think you said you're going to do this for your birthday. Is do painless Parker plugged in? Oh yeah, we're Which turning is it up to eleven. Yeah, he's going to do you know a full, a full with a full band. band. Yeah, there should be a all, lot all, really cool. All, this, all, this, all the songs that I write, um, virtually all of them, um, e- even if they do sound like folk songs. They're all kind of like underneath the surface. They're still all punk rock. And you can see. And then you underneath everything that, yeah. I do, underneath all my old timey stuff, my my steampunk leanings. Yeah. I'm still I'm still that punk rock twelve year old. Yeah. Um, and that's always been at the core of everything I do. The kind of, the immediacy, the the kind of urgency, that kind of, not net, well sometimes aggression, but certainly attitude and yeah. sort of oh, absolutely. certain like speed and recklessness and just sort of assertiveness something about the that raw energy that the sort of release it's like a good safe release instead of like going out and starting fights with people you just hammer on a sure. guitar or play real fast and stamp stomp your feet and shout and, yeah. and i always love that and i always do that and, and that's you know again i i see that sort of line that like punk rock is its own offshoot of folk music yeah 
it is a sort of a very weird twisted folk music but it is still a folk tradition it is sure. people's music yeah absolutely and and you get a sense of that like i mean one of my favorite songs that you play evil genius like mm-hmm. i can hear that as a punk song i wrote down. that as a punk song in college yeah, yeah. and so I wrote like that as a punk song it was never intended it, when i wrote it originally it was a bad religion parody and I can see I that. Like, I can definitely see the that. Lyrics, oh yeah, kind of making fun of them being, and they're all like, "Oh yeah, we all have PhDs." And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, they were. I don't know. It, it's funny because they predate Offspring. That they always felt like a second-rate Offspring to me. Yeah. Oh no, I like, can. I, I, I can. I feel like Offspring's finest work eclipses Bad Religion, and there's a lot of people, including a few who know me, who will probably want to hit me over the head <laughs> with a baseball bat for saying that. But screw them. <laughs> and so, that's my two cents worth, and I'm sticking to it. So. um we're going to, I think, start to wrap up, but I want to ask you to play one more song for us at the end, but um, but uh, I want to get into our, you know, um, there was another question I wanted to ask you, and of course now I'm blanking on it. Um, I love seeing this. Thanks. Helpful. You're welcome. You're, you're a lot of, you're, you're very, very useful. I mean, Steve, I mean, we've both right. been asking questions. Do you have a question for Painless? No, not particularly. Helpful to me. <laughs> helpful. I was enjoying the interview. Right, which is now ending because we have no more questions. <laughs> All right. I suppose you'd be wanting the spam mail of the day. That would be nice, and then get into our album for next week. Um, I do want to thank you for coming on, um, I'm, and I'm grateful for you to close out our, our show with another song, but I do... It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, it's great having you on again, you know, we, once with the Wasties, and now solo, and uh, we hope to have you on again soon. All, All right. Be, yeah, our spam mail. Yay. No. Click here, this is very normal, but this can only be found when the movements of Baby are prominently noticeable. The creator on this program has two young kids to prove it. For women who want to learn how to get pregnant quickly, it may take a different approach. By one Kikyepi. You okay? I'm, I'm, I'm alright. You, you feel okay? You sure? There was a lot of energy there, but I, I, I feel like it was a very rushed kind of production. See, they started doing this thing where they... You started it and we... I, by accident, it. I analyzed the spam mail like a song, and now they do it unironically. I love it. Anyway, it's, it's, um... Do I have, a, do I have a, a few seconds for shameless self-promotion? Absolutely. Oh, Before we wrap up, please away. do. So, if, um, if you like any of the songs you've been hearing, um, the best place for all things Painless Parker related, um, you, a good place is my website, which is painlessparkermusic.com. The best place is probably my Facebook page, uh, which obviously is just facebook.com slash painlessparker. Well, uh, sure. We'll make sure Steve puts their Facebook page and your yeah. Twitter in the links. I am on Bandcamp as well. All okay. my songs on Bandcamp can be downloaded either for free or if you want to pay for them, you can pay, pay as much or as little as you feel like. Um, I'm at the point in my you know artistic trajectory and career that I'm just happy if somebody's listening to it. Okay, well, that's good. So, you know, I'm... You know, I, I've been doing the Painless Barker thing maybe two years now, which really is in infancy in terms of, sure, of course. making it musically. And I've been very, very fortunate to have as much success I have in terms of fans and, and being able to play shows. Yeah, you're, you're, you're almost a celebrity at Steampunk. Like, when we were there, eh, I mean, the people know you. People know you there. You've become kind of a staple. Maybe not a celebrity, but definitely a staple at Steampunk because people got recognize you. The mustache. Yeah. Does the only thing and about doing with, an with audio great mustache comes great responsibility, of course. That's are. true, just yeah, like Uncle Ben said. It's, it's, a, it's a tall order. Um, well, <laughs> so what yeah, are, check check me out on the Facebooks. Yeah, find them, like them. Come to the shows. If you can you're find in the us. New York area. I play all the all the time. The way station, sidewalk, other places. Yep. Um, even the subway. 
Even uh, the subway, yes. Recently, I posted the video on the face on the Crash Court's Facebook page. He was recently greeted by what was it? Serbian step dancers. Serbian, Serb, two Serbian girls who were part of an Irish step dancing troupe, and they had their shoes in their backpack, and they heard me playing some jigs, and like, hey, could you play some music while we take a video of our dancing? And it was just one of the coolest things that's ever so happened that to me was, in the that subway. That was completely arbitrary? Because I saw that video. Arbitrary. Completely arbitrary. They looked, were just on the subway. I had never met these people before. It looked choreographed. Yeah, it was completely improvised. That's insane. I mean, yeah. you just play the right... You know, they just needed a reel, and I can play you know, I can play in 4-4, and they can dance in 4-4. Yeah. Oh. I love I loved subway. And I was playing uh, southern tunes, not Irish tunes, because yeah. all the Irish yeah. tunes I know are jigs, and they needed a reel. Yeah, they need a four four, not six eight. Yeah, yeah, so, that, but that that worked really, really well. I mean, yeah. the subway. It, it, it was just, just one acoust- of those acoustic crazy wise. The acoustics of the subway are oh, absolutely yeah. wonderful, and when you combine the the mandolin yeah. with the with the tapping, the other nice magic. thing about mandolins are nice and loud. They yes. ring out in ways that um, they, they 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 cut through the mix a little better than the guitar when you're. Yeah, out the in guitar public. is slightly bigger, but it's it's much more uh, toned down. Maybe. Yeah, it's 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 just in a, in a lower register, and it's a wonderful instrument. I love the guitar. Um, but the mandolin has its definitely has its niche, has its uh, has its strong suits, and um, very fond of it. I'm trying trying to get better. There's a lot lot of opportunities for getting better and like playing with other people and learning cool. more folk music in the city that I'm very grateful for. Nice. Um, before we we start to wrap up, um, what's what have you uh, chosen for us for next week, Steve? Is your pick? No yeah. new genres necessarily, but uh, what in my opinion is a unique duo, Goldfrap. Anyone heard of the name? Goldfrap? No. 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 I know no. Goldfrap. Electronic. Yeah, in their Goldfrap. origin. But they've moved toward very different things. Toward kind of an alternative sound. It broaches post-rock at times. It broaches folk at times. It broaches a weird rendition of standards. Which is, I think, what we'll be getting on their new album, Tales of Us. So listen It broaches it, but does it ever lock it? We'll see. <laughs> um, before we, we have you play us out with the last song, um, why don't you do our sign-off for us? We definitely would appreciate that. And don't go away, because we'll be playing a song right after. Music is life, and life is good. Subway train, another subway train, riding on 
gotta take a boat and not the subway train. Not the subway train. Not the subway train. And you don't go down that line. Ride that train line. Station on the ride that train. Oh, baby, gonna ride that subway train. 